If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31, where you will find our text printed for you in our bulletin. Today we finish our series entitled Focusing on the Family. And if you're visiting with us, or in case you've forgotten, just a quick recap. The first week, Barry preached on the importance of marriage and what a biblical, godly marriage looks like. And then two weeks on nurturing a biblical man. And then now last week and this week, nurturing a biblical woman. Now perhaps you're thinking, John, you don't have daughters. What authority do you have to preach on this subject? You're right, I don't have daughters. But I would remind you that the authority for any sermon is not the pastor, but it's the Word of God. After all, we preach the Bible and not our opinions or our experiences. So with that in mind, we turn our attention to God's holy Word, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. Before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious God, you've told us that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this, your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hear now God's word, Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax, the works, and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. She clothes her clothes is Clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. If you can do what you do best and be happy, you are further along in life than most people. Words spoken by Leonardo DiCaprio. You are about to start the greatest improvisation of all, with no script, no idea what's going to happen, often with people in places you have never seen before, and you are not in control. So say yes, and if you're lucky, you'll find people who will say yes back. 
Stephen Colbert. I've learned it's important not to limit yourself. You can do whatever you really love to do, no matter what it is. Ryan Gosling. Be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. Oprah. Now, what do these quotes have in common? They're all part of speeches given at high school graduations. At least that's what Teen Vogue claimed. And while there's an element of truth in at least some of these quotations, at the heart of them, they're devoid of any biblical support. Today on Graduation Sunday, we're recognizing you six graduates, but more than that, we're worshiping the Lord. We're also bringing to an end a sermon series on the family. And then sometimes I think we can tend to approach these two similarly. We want to give our graduates advice. We want to give parents advice. And that's not bad. But I think there's a deeper similarity between you all as graduates and to parents And that is that God's word is always the most relevant word for your life and for my life. So no matter how old or young you are, God's word read faithfully and faithfully preached is the most important word. So don't think this sermon only applies if you're a parent seeking to raise daughters. The truths we're going to see from Proverbs 31 apply to all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in life. And in this sermon, we're going to have two parts. First, we're going to look at three traits of a biblical woman. And then we're going to explore three principles for nurturing a biblical woman. Our passage begins, an excellent wife who can find. Now, don't get caught up on that word wife. The Hebrew word there, isha, can also be translated as woman. And the phrase used here, an excellent wife, can also be translated a noble woman. It's found in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, describing Ruth by Boaz, who will eventually be her husband, but it's prior to marriage. And so while there's some emphasis in this passage on a woman as a wife, that is not the ultimate thing. It's not limited to that. After all, the Lord grants to some women the gift of singleness. As to men as well, the gift of singleness is not a bad thing by any means. And by no means as Christians do we believe that a biblical woman's identity is found in her role as a mother or a wife. Those are wonderful blessings for many, but a biblical woman's identity is found in the fact that she is chosen by God, adopted as his daughter brought into his family. That's what defines a biblical woman. That's what defines a biblical man, not anything else. With that being said, what is a biblical woman? Last week, Barry highlighted seven traits from 1 Peter 3 and 1 Samuel 25. And in many ways, you could think Proverbs 31 feels like that. It's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Man, there's point after point after point. You feel like you need a nap after just reading the text. There's so much here, but I think these traits can be grouped together into three big ideas. A biblical woman works hard in all tasks, she cares for others, and she loves God. Before we dive into these, please note 
that these are characteristics of an ideal godly woman. They are by no means to be used as a standard to critique your girlfriend or your wife or your daughter or yourself. This is an ideal, what we should strive for by God's grace, but not a means to critique others or ourselves. So first, a biblical woman works hard in all tasks. The first description we find in this text of a biblical woman in verse 12 says that she is trustworthy. Her husband, and by default, all who know her can trust her. Why? Because of her work ethic. She works hard. Verse 13 describes her as one working well with her hands. Verse 14 mentions she is skilled in getting the best food. Verse 15 says she rises early, and verse 18 says she goes to bed late. In verse 16, we see that she is smart in business and can make purchases. Verse 18 tells us she knows what is profitable and what isn't. Friends, sometimes Bible-believing Christians are accused of being chauvinistic and believing that women have no role in society except in the home. And let me assure you, that is the farthest thing from the truth. Don't get me wrong, a woman's role in the home, if she has a family, is so important. But it's not just limited to that. As our text lays out so clearly, a woman's role is in society. It's in the community. Yes, her family, but those around her as well. So a biblical woman works hard in all she does. As I mentioned, those tasks include family and community. She has a multitude of responsibilities. And that includes the life of the church. While Scripture clearly teaches that the offices of elder and pastor are restricted to men, by no means does that mean that women have no role to play in the church. Honestly, it's the opposite. Women have a huge role to play. And there are many women in this church who serve in so many ways. And ladies, I am so thankful for you. God equips each of us. And women, you have a role to play in the life of this church or your church home if it's not here. Graduates, are you cultivating a strong work ethic for the glory of God? I know a lot of you are. I've seen it on display, and I praise God for that. But keep after that. Pray you continue in that as you go to college and for the rest of your life. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, 23-24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So a biblical woman works hard in all tasks. The second trait of a biblical woman we see here in Proverbs 31 is that she cares for others. And once again, this is not just in the home. Although that's important, a biblical woman cares about all people. In verse 20, it says she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This means she cares for those who aren't as blessed and well-off as she is. We must train our daughters and our sons to be people who care for others. And this can start at a young age. They can care for those who are less well-off at the lunch table, or on the playground, or on their sports teams, or in their neighborhood. A biblical woman also cares about her family. As we saw while looking 
at hard work. A biblical woman takes care of her family. And this goes far beyond cooking and cleaning. It goes to every facet of life in the family. A biblical wife supports her husband in many ways. A biblical mom looks after her children in numerous manners. A biblical daughter, no matter her age or that of her parents, cares for mom and dad. A biblical sister loves her siblings well. You get the point. Friends, there's a lot of need in the world. Sometimes it's tempting to think that just the world is going to hell in a handbasket. But there's also good. And we can do good by God's strength and for His glory. Graduates, make it your goal to be a man or woman who does good for others around you. In order to do this, you must slow down, look up from your iPhone, and see the need of others around you. And ask God to give you the ability to meet those needs. You can't do everything, but you can do something. And that's true for all of us. A biblical woman cares for others. Finally, a biblical woman loves God. This really is the most important characteristic of a biblical woman. Verse 30, the last description of a biblical woman, says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Remember, there's no accidents in Scripture. Even the placement of verses is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the fact that this description of an ideal biblical woman ends on this note is important. It's highlighting what matters most. A biblical woman loves God. He uses the term fear of the Lord. Perhaps you're wondering, what does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? What is the fear of the Lord? I hope you have. I hope you have a good answer. But if not, let me offer one quick word. The fear of the Lord does not mean that we're terrified that God is up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to strike us down the moment we mess up. It doesn't mean that we are to be scared of him like we would be an evil dictator or a mobster. A healthy fear of the Lord means that there's a sense of awe at who God is and what he does. It means that we, as much as we can with our finite, limited human minds, recognize how great and mighty he is. It means we respect him and revere him. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the theme verse of the book of Proverbs, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Graduates, we hope that you will be men and women of wisdom. Girls, we pray that you grow up to be women of wisdom. We pray that all of us would be wise. One commentator put it this way, What your ABCs are to reading Shakespeare, what playing the scales are to performing Bach, what 2 plus 2 equals 4 is to doing calculus, the fear of the Lord is to wisdom. In order to be wise, we must fear the Lord. When we fear him, we love him. And this is really what matters. After all, Jesus said, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you fear God, you will love him. If you love him, you will obey him. Love for God is most important. Do you notice how Proverbs thirty one thirty began? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. A charming woman can trick you. Outward beauty will pass away. And so inner beauty is what matters most. 
And this flies in the face of what our world teaches us today. How many Instagram posts do you see highlighting inner beauty and love for God? I guess it depends on what accounts you follow, but my guess is not many. Our world emphasizes external looks. And as Barry mentioned last week, that's not all bad. But it can't be our primary focus. Loving God really is the most important thing. Graduates, take your relationship with Jesus seriously. Find a good church to attend while at college. Get involved in a Christian ministry like RUF or Crew or FCA. Find some good Christian friends. Read your Bible. Don't think when I'm older I'll get back into these things. Focus on the Lord now. That's true for all of us. Parents, emphasize the importance of loving God for your daughters and your sons. If you want a good example of what a biblical woman looks like from the Bible, one that comes to my mind is Ruth. In the Hebrew Bible, that is the Bible in the original language, the Old Testament Hebrew, the books of the Bible are organized a little bit differently. And the book of Ruth actually comes right after Proverbs. In other words, you end Proverbs with this description of a biblical woman, and then it's as if to say, you want an example? Here's Ruth. Ruth was hardworking in many ways, as seen by the fact that when she comes back from a faraway land, she goes and gleans in the field. She's working hard. She cares for others. She cares for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and for others throughout her life. And she loves God. You know, the famous verse, your God will be my God, is her words to her mother-in-law. And the fact that she chooses and wants to be married to a godly man in Boaz is a sign of her love for God. In the second part of this sermon, we're going to talk specifically about nurturing a biblical woman. And we've done this throughout this sermon in a certain way, and Barry has given lots of examples over the last three sermons but I want to hit a couple things very specifically. Paul David Tripp has a book entitled Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Transform Your Family. I would highly recommend, if you're a parent, I would highly recommend you order this book off Amazon or somewhere else and read it. But in that book, in his introduction, he makes the point that so many times parents fall into the trap of approaching parenting with an ownership principle. We implicitly, and, and not always saying this, think our Children belong to us. And he makes the argument that the Bible teaches rather an ambassador approach. The parents are God's ambassadors on behalf of him to their children. So he says our purpose is to do God's will and to seek to raise our children to know God. And not getting what we want for our children or getting what we want from our children. And as a result, there's many things we could highlight and do as parents, but I want to emphasize three. And hear me out, this applies to all of us. When a baby is baptized in the life of this church, do you remember the vow that's asked the congregation? Do you, the members and friends, undertake with these parents the covenant responsibility for the Christian nurture of this child? That means every single one of us has a role to play in the nurture of biblical women and men. It's not just on parents, it's not just on pastors or the leaders, it's not just on Sunday school teachers, it's every single one of us. And so we can all do these three things I'm about to mention. First, the first key to raising a biblical woman or man is pray. Now maybe you're thinking, really John? I mean, come on, prayer? I mean, that's a no-brainer, but also, like, can't you be more practical than that? 
Friends, the most important thing we can do is pray. For our children, our grandchildren, and for all the children of the life of this church. Why? Because prayer looks to God to do what only He can do. The most important thing in parenting is faithfulness to God, which seeks to raise them to love Jesus and serve Him all the days of their life. In other words, what your child needs most is not a good education or more opportunities than you had as a kid or sports or related arts or community service. Those things are all important. But what your child needs most is a changed heart. After all, the Bible teaches that we are born as sinners. That's right, people aren't basically good. There are no innocent children. And the fact of the matter is, parents, you cannot change the heart of your child. But God can. So pray. Pray regularly for your children and grandchildren. For all of you here today, I pray that you will pray for the children and youth of this church. I hope that you'll take your bulletin home with you instead of giving it to an usher captain to recycle because the names of our graduates are listed there. Tuck it in your Bible. Put it on your mirror or your refrigerator. Pray for them by name. I know they would really appreciate your prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. We must be in prayer, especially for our young people in our church and community. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their protection. Pray that they would love Jesus all the days of life. Pray that the forces of evil would not interfere with their life and lead them astray. Pray that they would serve faithfully wherever the Lord takes them. The second important principle in nurturing a biblical woman is model. Now don't worry, I'm not saying like be a fashion model. But what I mean is to model what faithfulness looks like. So often as parents, we can be guilty of saying things like, do as I say, not as I do. And I want to challenge you, that's often a cop-out for sin in our own lives. We're not perfect, but we're called to set an example for those who are younger than us. Many parents today fall into the trap of letting their kids set the agenda and the family schedule. Parents, don't let your kids have that power. They're, they're, They're not old enough and wise enough to do that. They don't know what's best. Graduates, I know you know a lot, but you don't know as much as you think you do. And trust me, mom and dad know more than you think. Parents, are you modeling faithfulness to Jesus? Maybe you're wondering what that looks like. Well, here's just a couple examples. You can model to your children what it looks like to read your Bible. Now, the ultimate goal of reading our Bible is so that we grow to know and love Jesus, but a secondary reason can be for the benefit of our children. Now, this doesn't always work out as well as we want. My son, Bo, went through a phase where when I was reading the Bible, he would go, look at me, I get a little frustrated with him, but he would say, all done, Daddy, reading the Bible right now. It's a good pastor's kid for you, right? But it did lead to some opportunities for conversation about what matters most. Model church attendance. Some parents think that they'll push their kids away from the faith if they make them come to church. I would argue you're actually doing them more harm than good. Because if they don't see it important to you, it's not going to be important to them. You cannot expect your kids to go to college or go to church when they're in college if they're not going to church while they live under your roof. Model service to others. We mentioned earlier that a biblical woman serves others. 
Model this. Take your kids to serve. Bring them to the church work day. Take them to volunteer in the soup kitchen when they're old enough. Find ways to serve as a family. Finally, speak. Speak to your children the truths of God's word. Verse 1 of Proverbs 31 says, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. In other words, the truths of this text came from a wise woman who taught it to her son, who then is now recorded on the pages of Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So take opportunities to read the Bible to your children and to pray with them. My family is by no means perfect at this. But if you ask my son, Bo, what we do after dinner, he'll tell you, read the Bible, sing a song, and pray. Repetition works. Even at prior to age three, he knows what's going to happen. It doesn't take long. In less than five minutes, you can speak to your children the truths of God's word. Also, talk about things going on in the world from a biblical perspective. Talk about what a commercial is communicating. Talk about the worldview that a movie teaches. Help them process the events in society like what happened in Texas just a few days ago. Speak truth to your kids by teaching them the children's catechism. Young children are sponges. What are they soaking up? Catechism helps them soak up what we believe. If you don't have young children, one way you can speak is through teaching Sunday school. We have a core group of folks who teach children and youth Sunday school, and I'm super thankful for them. But honestly, I'd love for them to have a break. Perhaps maybe the Lord will place upon some husbands and wives to, to team teach children or youth Sunday school. Don't think that you've already passed your prime. Don't think this is for someone else. Pray about it. You can speak the truth of God's word to those in our church. As we close, I want to ask you a question. How do you define successful parenting? Is it admission into a particular college or university? Is it raising a productive member of society? Is it making sure they're not living in your basement at age 30 or 35? I would argue that the Bible teaches successful parenting is faithfulness to raising children to know the truths of God and to follow Him. I say faithfulness because at the end of the day, we cannot save our children. We can't change their hearts. Only God can. But 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Travis Agnew, a pastor in Greenville, poses it this way. There's a .0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. Yet there is a 100% chance that they will stand before Jesus one day. Sports are good. Arts are good. But they're not God. We must prioritize what matters most. Graduates, I hope that you do well in college and that you find a great job afterwards. But more importantly, I pray that in two years, in four years, in 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now, you know and you love Jesus. That's what matters most. And that is what we should all pray for our children, grandchildren, and for all the children in our church. Let us pray.